welcome. Thanks for listening. Hope you are well. It's the inaugural episode of Rock, Pop, and Roll. Hey, I'm Rob Nichols. Welcome. Here's me. I was in radio for 20 years, rock radio, pop radio, country radio. I was a music writer, uh, did interviews, album reviews, concert reviews, lots of music, all that stuff that a music writer would do, all that stuff that a DJ would do. So I, I got lots of memories of great concerts, lots of time spent listening to the radio and tunes in my room, in the car, at the kitchen table, getting ready for school. You name it, I did it with the radio on. I've had had that radio on since I was a baby. So how did you get into to music in the 80s? Well, you, if you were there, you listened to radio. You probably bought some cassette tapes. You had some friends who knew bands. You discovered bands and clubs and concerts. And you discovered other bands opening for for other bands. So there was kind of this chain that all started with radio. And that was the the conduit for you, for me to, to hear new music, to hear old music, to hear, to hear music. You know, you had your albums, you had your eight tracks, you had your cassettes, but it was radio as the prime taste maker and revealer of music. Right. So then MTV came along in the early eighties, like 1981. It worked in conjunction with radio, but you didn't have a TV in your car. So it didn't replace it. It was a piece of the puzzle to hear music and discover artists and bands, but it was it was still a radio world in the 80s. So if you were listening, depending on what you were listening to, uh, it had a format on the radio. Now, there's three radio formats that are important to know about for this podcast. All right, so there's three. Uh, number one is AOR, Album Oriented Rock. So it was a rock-based format focused on the album rather than singles. It wasn't a top 40 station. It was they played deeper cuts. It evolved from freeform FM radio in the late 60s and 70s where the DJs picked the music. And so it had a tighter playlist, but they still gave some exposure to album tracks that were never released as singles. And so it was it was kind of cool because you could hear like the third cut from the Pat Benatar album where other top 40 stations would never get that far. Um, the album tracks that never became hit on the top 40 charts did have their own charts, Billboard and then Radio and Records, two of the two of the industry magazines put together an album track chart in the early 80s, rock tracks, mainstream rock tracks. It changed, uh, it changed its name a few times, but that's an important format to know. Number two, top 40 or CHR, contemporary hit radio. Top 40 on FM evolved from the old AM stations like WLS in Chicago, I listened to them or CKLW across the river from Detroit and Windsor in the Midwest. They just had the hits, baby. Uh, spun those things all day, all night. You listen to classic American Top 40 with Casey Kasem on High Heart Radio. That's I listen to that. It's cool to listen to. Throws you back to the 80s. That's the sound of the 80s. Top 40 radio where you could hear Prince and Madonna and Michael Jackson and Sheena Easton, Dan Fogelberg. Some one-hit wonder band like Chilliwack, gone, gone, gone. Yeah, you could hear those on Top 40 radio. And in, in the 80s, there was a format that lived between the two of those. Not for very long, but influential. It mixed AOR and Top 40. It was called Rock 40. It was a format that was a hybrid of the two. 
and combined kind of the formatics of top 40 and the music mix of AOR. So it wasn't, it was a little bit faster moving with the jocks. The rock 40 eventually faded and became AOR uh, or top 40. You got to choose which one you wanted to be as a station when you decided not rock 40. But for years, it was exciting radio, live local DJs. It had a rotation that included what, what we now listen to as classic rock, right? New songs from those artists at the time, new artists. Uh, and they would go three or four cuts deep into an album, not just the single like AOR would, but would format it uh, a little quicker, like a top 40 station. So it's pretty cool rock radio. That's what I heard growing up. AOR stations too, that had the slower talking DJs, deeper album cuts from bands like Traffic and the Moody Blues. I love those stations too, but they seem more for that. The stations seem more for that Sunday afternoon, late night, cool man, smoke a bowl crowd. And I wanted to rock a little bit. Not Metallica or Megadeth rock, but I let's rock with REO or maybe some early Def Leppard, some of that Pat Benatar, some nude Van Halen, uh, a bit of Quarter Flash, maybe a little Donnie Iris. All that stuff was mixed up into that rock 40. I mean, that was that was 40 years ago. You know, a lot of those artists are still in rotation. Those same songs are still in rotation at classic rock stations today. But at the time, we just weren't burned out on them. We're burned out on those songs now. Uh, if you listen to to a to any classic rock station in America, the playlist is almost the same for all of them. So somewhere between these three, that's where we find the sound of rock, pop, and roll. It's a sound that doesn't exist if these three formats did not exist. So that's important to know as we as we go forward. Uh, this week on Rock, Pop, and Roll, we will be discussing Forgotten Greatness, some hits of the 80s, Forgotten Greatness, five underappreciated songs. Now, there were many songs that we could have picked, but these are five awfully good ones that had a little criteria. They had to have at least a, a be a little bit of a hit on Top 40 radio. They had to be on the radio as a single or on a rock station. So you could you could hear it on one of those three formats that we talked about. Um, so th- that's what we will get to. Before we do, though, what we want to know this week is how did you listen to music back in the 80s? Eight track, cassette, album, car, radio, where'd you get that sound? Now, I have memories of being in the car, my mom's car, traveling from Michigan to Indiana and back five hours each way to visit family. We did it about once a month. <laughs> I can still re- I still remember hearing the Bay City Rollers, right, singing Saturday night on WLS. It was dark out. I was about nine years old. This was 1975. We were in the middle of the northern Indiana flatland driving along. And just and at the time, you'd spin the dial looking for a song, looking for a song. I loved radio. And it was WLS, CKLW, WoWo in Fort Wayne. You'd listen to baseball games. I would anyway. Nighttime AM radio was great. Those stations that were called not owned by clear channel but the designation was clear channel uh, everything else opened up on uh, on those bands and so kmox in st louis wjr in detroit cco wcco in minneapolis wlw in cincinnati there were stations in new orleans am stations in new york and texas the am dial at night was magical uh and you were searching for that song and i remember searching for the bay city rollers Right. So my first car was a Ford Escort, had only an AM radio. My college car was a brown Buick Skylark that lost the ability to go in reverse at some point at the end of its life. 
and it only had an AM radio for the longest time too. And this was 1986. And so I spent hours on dirt roads listening to the, uh, if you remember this, if you were alive in the eighties in the Midwest, do you remember the unbelievable loop AM 1000 in Chicago, Kevin Matthews, Stephen Gary, Johnny B was awesome to listen to. So I listened to that, finally wired that car for a cassette AM FM radio and got some nice rectangle speakers for the back, cranked out the, the Springsteen, the Brian Adams, the Del Fuegos. And I listened to a lot of FM radio too. In Michigan, I grew up on that one of those Rock 40 stations out of Jackson, which is a little south of Lansing. It was called Q106. Now, I traveled down the road. If we wanted to, well, I did a lot of cruising to hear, to find music. I traveled on I-94 to listen to like Detroit radio, WRIF, Arthur P, baby. WLLZ, which was another rocker in Detroit that came on the air to challenge them. Um, Lansing had a throwback album rocker, WMMQ. Toledo had WIOT. So anywhere I went, it was Radio Roulette. Where was the station? So that's my super quick history of music and cars. And so now let's go. Let's hear some forgotten greatness. Five of the great 80s hits that somehow got lost. And so let's start out at number five. In 1981, Sammy Hagar had left Capitol Records for the newly formed Geffen Records. His first Geffen release was called Standing Hampton. This was 1982. It was his biggest selling album to date. Went platinum. Five of its singles charted on either those charts we talked about, the mainstream rock or the pop singles chart. The big song. At number five on our list, that is forgotten, is all fall in love again. Top 40, it peaked at number 43 on the Hot 100. Mainstream rock radio, though, it went to number two. It was his second biggest hit at rock radio of his career. It's his second biggest hit. What was his biggest? I Can't Drive 55? No. No, I thought it was, but no. It went to number nine on those rock charts. It was the follow-up to I Can't Drive 55. A little uh, <laughs> a weak song called Give to Live. You remember Give to Live? Maybe you don't. It topped the rock charts. So that's his biggest rock radio hit. Uh, but this was early 80s radio rock. This is a little I'll Fall in Love Again, shiny but a little gritty. Sammy had been looking for a hit ever since he left Montrose, and he had come up empty. Uh, and then he connected with a producer by the name of Keith Olson. Now, Olson kind of made a name for himself at Sound City Studios in L.A. He was in Dave Grohl's documentary, Sound City. Keith Olsen produced, and get this, this is the late uh, late 70s, early 80s, the list of song, or lists of albums that he produced. Fleetwood Mac's Fleetwood Mac album uh, had Monday Morning on it, had Rhiannon. Uh, he produced Double Vision from Foreigner, Pat Benatar's Crimes of Passion, Rick Springfield. He uh, produced two songs off Working Class Dog. Uh, 
uh, Pat Benatar's follow-up to Crimes of Passion called Precious Time, San, uh, Sammy Hagar's follow-up to this one. Uh, he produced Rick Springfield again. The whole album of success hasn't spoiled me yet. He, he was glossy rock was Keith Olsen. Enough guitar and drums to keep it on rock radio, but some pop shine, right, to appeal to a potential wider audience than what might have been the band's current fans. Kind of worked, kind of didn't. Perfect example, he produced Jesse's Girl, and I've done everything for you for Rick Springfield. Some excellent guitar power pop. But then he took over for the next Springfield album, Success Hasn't Spoiled Me Yet, and made it just, it was too poppy, it was wimpy. It all sounded like Don't Talk to Strangers, which you might argue, hey, that's fine. It went. The song went to number two, um, but... Uh, that was kind of Keith Olsen. He, he wasn't so gritty, so rock and roll that uh, that you couldn't dislike something about him. And then sometimes he came off as a little bit wimpy. So he and Sammy got together. Hager's follow-up to Standing Hampton was Three Lock Box, which gave him his first top 40 hit with uh, Your Love is Driving Me Crazy. But we love All Fall in Love Again. And so that was our number five song. Let's move on to number four. This little gem... And number four was from Bruce Hornsby and the range. And it was actually a huge hit for him. Really huge and still forgotten at the same time. At the time, it was everywhere. It was the Valley Road. was the lead single from that album and probably not the song that you most most think of bruce hornsby when you think of bruce hornsby you probably think of the way it is but get this the valley road reached top 10 on the hot 100 charts so it was number five there spent a week atop the billboard adult contemporary chart it was his third song to reach number one on that chart. And this single, The Valley Road, was at the top of the mainstream rock chart on rock radio stations, the top song for three weeks. So he was top 10 in the uh, top 40, and he was atop the other two charts. Not something that's easily accomplished. Rock song doesn't usually do that. But man, Bruce Hornsby's piano playing, I loved his piano playing. Uh, that's him on Don Henley's End of the Innocence song, by the way. So Bruce Hornsby, a little forgotten track that was huge. So you still hear it a little bit, but not as much as you would not as much as you would think for a song that was as widely acclaimed as that one. Actually, he did you know he only recorded three albums with the range? Bruce Hornsby and the Range, 1984 to 91. He recorded The Way It Is, Scenes from the South Side, which this track is on, and then a, an album called Night on the Town. And he only reached the top 20 one other time after the Valley Road with a song from A Night on the Town called uh, Across the River, which was uh, got up to number 18. Uh, we roll on at number three of Forgotten Greatness is, first, give me, let me give you a quick story. There's a great story of two 50s rockers, brothers, Johnny Burnett and his brother Dorsey. They had a band called the Rock and Roll Trio. They moved from Memphis to LA in 1958. 
They bought a map of the stars. They decided to sit on the step of Ricky Nelson's house, Ozzie and Harriet, Ricky, Ricky's house, until they could get a meeting with him. They just sat there and waited, and it worked. And they played some songs from Nelson. He was impressed with their work, and he recorded uh, several of their songs, including uh, Waiting in School. And uh, do you remember this one? It's Late from Rick Nelson. It's late, it's late, we gotta get on home. It's late, it's late, we've so, been so, so, so that was Johnny Burnett and his brother Dorsey. Uh, that was, that's all part of this story because uh, Johnny later recorded a song called You're 16 that Ringo Starr had a hit with. Johnny's version went to number eight and also peaking at number eight. Here's where we tie it all back in, right? Also peaking at number eight on the uh, on the big top forty chart was this song by his son, number three on our countdown, Rocky Burnett. It's the one we love. It's called "Tired of Towing the Line." Do you remember this one? I went to number one in Australia for two weeks. It was uh, AM pop radio music, right? Super cheesy video. Had a false ending. <laughs> a lot of reverb. And it's it, it's still it's still a one-hit wonder. And that's, uh, that's number three, Rocky Burnett, tired of towing the line. And number two is a Detroit artist, Ray Parker Jr., uh, Ray Parker Jr., you know him from Ghostbusters. That was his number one song well before. This is the story before Ghostbusters. He had a band called Radio, R-A-Y-D-I-O, Radio, spelled like Ray Parker Jr. Uh, they had a big hit in 78 with Jack and Jill on their debut album, went top 10. Uh, they had a follow-up that also had You Can't Change That on there. It was also a top 10 song. Sold a million copies of that single in 1980. They became Ray Parker Jr. and Radio was the new band name. And a couple more hits before they had their biggest hit, A Woman Needs Love, Just Like You Do. It was 1981. It went to number four. And then Ray Parker Jr., he decided to go solo. And he went solo with this. And this is the number two forgotten greatness on, on our little countdown here. Do you remember this? The other woman released in 1982 went to number four. Uh, oh yeah, had some rock guitars, some close mic'd Ray, his deep voice. I'm in love, I'm in love with the other woman. My life is fine, fine. till she blew my mind. Oh shit. That's the sound right there of rock, pop, and roll. Rock stations weren't going to play that, mostly because Ray Ray was black and rock stations weren't playing black artists, but they should have. It was infectious. It was as infectious as Beat It. It had that funk rock and roll groove that predated Prince's success because this was 1982. Prince was still 
he was not to the uh, Purple Rain stage yet. wasn't even quite to the 1999 uh, ubiquitous sound of, of that album when that came out, the Little Red Corvette. This was all before that. Uh, Ray Parker Jr., man, I love that song. At number one on our list of forgotten greatness, there's a, there's a critic who works for allmusic.com, the great review site, Stephen Thomas Erlewine. He called this song that we're going to play a little snippet for you of the last great single of the album rock era. Hmm. Lou Graham, he was frustrated with his band Foreigner. They were a Foreigner at this point, mid 80s. They were more ballads, more synthesizers. Uh, they had an album called Agent Provocateur, which was lame. So Lou decided to release a solo album called Ready or Not. This was 1987 when he released it. And this song was ear candy for the fading rock and roll radio sound. Midnight Blue is our number one top forgotten greatness track of the 80s. I ain't gonna double back, no. You remember this. Don't Put on no I love the drums on this. But I know my That's unduly relegated to the once in a while play on, on the classic hit stations. Hardly ever played anywhere else. It's just a great 80s sound. Lou's voice is iconic. He just turned 70. The drums are big. It's a straight ahead rocker that beats anything Foreigner was doing at the time. I loved it. I still do. And there you go. There's your top five forgotten greatness tracks of this week from the 80s. That's the podcast. I do appreciate you uh, listening to the to the episode this week. I want you to subscribe to Rock Pop and Roll to hear more great 80s songs, stories, opinions on Rock Pop and Roll. And we end with, uh, with a little feature that we like to call What Happened There? It's facts that we found out on the way to making the podcast. Did you know Johnny Burnett, the father of Rocky Burnett, died in a fishing boat accident? We did not. His boat had no lights. He was run over by another boat. It was 1964, and he gained prominence again after his death when they put Your 16 in the movie soundtrack to American Graffiti. One other thing we found out we thought was interesting, Ray Parker Jr., a couple of Detroit connections. At age 16, he co-wrote his first songs with Marvin Gaye. In 1972, he was a guitarist in Stevie Wonder's band and uh, went on tour as they opened for the Rolling Stones. He was on Stevie Wonder's album, Talking Book. In 1973, Ray Parker Jr. was a sideman, played some guitar for Barry White in the Love Unlimited Orchestra. So there, there's some Ray Parker Jr. And I want to leave you, as we get out of here, with a little bit of Ray's follow-up hit to The Other Woman, a, 
a little song that went to number 12 in 1984. Kind of a guilty pleasure of mine. Love it. It's called I Still Can't Get Over Loving You, becoming his fifth top 20 hit. His sixth top 20 hit ended up being Ghostbusters. Thanks for listening. Check us out on Twitter at Rock Pop and Roll and at rockpopandroll.com. I'm Rob. See you next time. Be good to each other. Girl, I can't forget It's not over yet I still can't get over Loving you Every breath you take I'll be watching you, girl Cause I still can't get over Loving you Thank you.